0: I'm a strong believer of um, interaction, live interaction between people. Pretty much what we are doing right now, right? Yeah. Everything critical and significant that I had learned in my life, you know, from the stories that I just told you, was through interaction, conversation with with people that you connect to, and that is not going to happen in a pre-recorded uh, video, right? This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today.
1: Hi folks, Dries here. In the past two and a half years, Garrett has started interviewing a lot of prominent founders, innovators, and investors who share their experience on the topic of entrepreneurship. Moreover, Garrett is in the process of recording some new episodes with some of the most seminal entrepreneurs in the WHO ecosystem, so stay tuned to hear more about their success stories. However, we also had the feeling that it's time to also give a voice to the newest entrepreneurial talents in our ecosystem. This is why we decided to start a new format, which we call the Most Awesome Founder Talent Recordings. In these episodes, we will talk with several entrepreneurs who are at the starting point of their founding careers. More specifically, we will kick off this format by interviewing several founders who are participating in the 2022 Weahoo Accelerator an initiative of the BAU Entrepreneurship Center, where we try to support and mentor a small group of high potential startups.
0: Coming to you from WHU (laughs) on the banks of the Rhine River in beautiful Fallendar, Germany, this is the best and most awesome founder podcast. (laughs) A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today.
1: Today, I'm happy to introduce to you Anand Rai. Anand was born in India, but actually grew up in Saudi Arabia. At the age of 23, he moved to Germany, where he conducted a series of jobs as an automation engineer. At the beginning of 2022, Anand decided to drastically change course and decided to become a first-time founder, initiating the company JoyOn. JoyOn wants to enable tutors and coaches to set up, organize, and conduct live online courses. He is building the company together with his wife and his best friend, Jisnu. Anand... Welcome to the podcast, and great that you were willing to be the first guest in this uh, new format.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Therese, for having me. It's uh, definitely an interesting and exciting period for me, and and this is the first podcast that I'm doing, so let's see how it goes.
1: Okay, then uh, I will be gentle for you. (laughs) It's the first podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, but so as I briefly mentioned already in the uh, introduction, you actually grew up in Saudi Arabia, Uh, where you did your high school, then you finished your high school and then uh, as I understood it, you went back to India to study electrical engineering but then in 2008 you actually went back to Saudi Arabia amidst uh, the financial crisis to actually find a job as an engineer but that turned out to be quite challenging as I understood um, more specifically, you were not able to find an engineering job and you ended up in a kind of hourly paid job as a kind of office clerk, uh, basically doing photocopying of engineering documents. So this sounds like a very challenging situation. Can you maybe tell us a bit more about
0: how you experienced this quite challenging period? <laughs> sure. Yeah, it was a long time ago, but um, you know, when I think about it, think was the most frightful period of my life or the frightful thing that I had faced till that point in life because I mean I had a job in India so after I finished studies in India I got recruited as a software engineer in a very uh, comfortable uh, position and in a well-known company but um, I was just too ambitious to you know be stuck there and my dream was to become an electrical engineer so I just kind of quit I moved back to Saudi Arabia because Uh, I was understanding that there was a lot of uh, construction, industrial construction projects going on. So I was hoping that, okay, I'll definitely find a job as an electrical engineer. But then I moved there. Um, I wasn't really uh, understanding the depth of the financial crisis. Um, All the companies uh, put a hold on uh, hiring new people, especially um, inexperienced uh, persons like myself. So I, at the end of, you know, when I think about it, I I think I was stuck at home for three months. And in Saudi Arabia, there is no entertainment. You're practically stuck at home. Uh, uh, I was sending my CVs left and right. Um, I had a bunch of interviews, but the same story, right? So they were not willing to recruit an inexperienced person. And then all of a sudden I got this call from a human resource leasing company company. that said, that okay, they're looking for uh, hiring a clerk uh, for the electrical department um, of the site construction uh, um, that was going on uh, in a field in a in a in a uh, uh, petrochemical field. Yeah. Um, at first, I was of course disheartened uh, because I mean I didn't put all that effort in my life to, mm. to become an engineer to you know uh, do photocopying of, of documents, <laughs> but then. Um, I mean, if life had taught me one thing, that was that if you, you know, keep fighting hard in the direction that you want to strongly achieve, something will happen one way or the other. Right. So I also felt that, okay, I am close to what I want to uh, be right Uh, in the field that I want to be. So let's give it a shot. It wouldn't hurt. So what I what I did was I got the job. They were really uh, happy that, okay, uh, in English speaking. A uh, person was, was uh, coming in as a clerk. Um, uh, they didn't, of course, know my background that I was an engineer. Uh, so what I did with these documents that I had to photocopy and file was that I, I studied them in detail, right? Okay. So I went through those documents. I even took them home. And then I kept pumping questions one after the other to the department head, right? So so why is this document like this? Why is this uh, value like this? Et cetera, et cetera. So in a couple of weeks, I um, he realized that I am not really a clerk and he asked me what I was. I mean, what did I study? I said engineering. And that was the moment when he decided, okay, you know, you have to do engineering tasks because I think you are, you're talented, you're ambitious, um, your energy is wasted there. Uh, and that was how I, you know, got to be an engineer um, out of coincidence, not really yeah. expecting that to happen. And after a few months, he asked me if I'd like to join him in Germany in his office as um, a permanent employee. So it took me all about three seconds to say yes to that question. Uh, I was 23. um, You know, a lot of adrenaline going on. (laughs) And yeah, and that's how I ended up in Germany, in Europe.
1: Okay, so that's in the end, uh, that's how you ended up in Germany. I think you were like 23 years old at that point in time. Yeah. And it's not that you went to the most fancy place in Germany. It's the city of uh, Salzgitter, <laughs> which is really <laughs> in the middle of nowhere in Germany. So, so how did that feel being an Indian guy, having lived in Saudi Arabia for quite some time and then ending up in not really the metropole called Salzgitter? How was that?
0: Well, uh, in the beginning, it was all super exciting um, the experiences were very positive because I was I was uh, had never been to a developed country before, right? I, yeah. was, in, yeah, I was in Saudi Arabia, um, so I was really impressed with with uh, every, you know how well everything or- was organized, how okay. clean the air was, how clean the streets <laughs> were. Um, but work, so you
1: didn't take the train because then, then you would realize that not everything is so well organized in Germany.
0: Well, <laughs> you, well at that point of time you know okay. you, the trains were really on time so it wasn't okay. a, <laughs> a difference
1: for the better days.
0: Exactly exactly so I was um, you know I was always uh, in 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 awe feeling right in everything that I saw but then after a few months you know, a feeling of isolation started kicking in, um, yeah. a feeling of loneliness, because, um, you know, without the knowledge of German language, it mm. was practically impossible to be independent and living by yourself and making friends. Um, so the work part of, uh, you know, it was going well, but the life part was was kind of, uh, you know, getting to be a bit messy, of course. But I had great um bonds with my colleagues and even their families. So so one thing that was advantageous in living in a small town uh like Salskida is that you know people are really caring about each other. Okay. And and of course there were the offset uh, uh outlying experiences of racism, but I was kind of too naive to even recognize racism at that point. Of time. Okay. I was just smiling at everybody who spoke something and I did not know what to say. Yeah. Um and my colleagues and their family they kept uh pushing me to start speaking German, right? Okay. Uh, so not like, you know, in an irritated manner, you know, I don't understand you speak German, but hey, come on, it is time that you have to start speaking German, uh, uh, learn. And they even suggest that I move into a flat share not live by myself with other Germans. And I took their advice. I moved into a flat share, uh, made my first friends. Um, even after 14 years, they're still my friends. Um, yeah. uh, and that kind of, uh, you know, made me push my boundaries, learn German. Uh, I was getting a very good um, acceptance in the society. Um, and that's 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 how I started uh, settling in.
1: Yeah. Oh, great to hear that. Yeah. So as I said at the beginning, you're now working on developing a platform to facilitate online learning. But could you maybe share a bit the story about how you came to realize that actually live courses can have substantial added value in comparison with simply watching pre-recorded videos on YouTube. But what was the trigger?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, um, I'm a strong believer of um, interaction, live interaction between people, pretty much what we are doing right now, right? Everything critical and significant that I had learned in my life, you know, from the stories that I just told you, was through interaction, conversation with with. People that you connect to, and that is not going to happen in a pre-recorded uh, video, right? But yeah. the, I mean, I always, you know, felt that I did not make any comparisons between pre-recorded courses or live courses until I had this experience myself, and that was um, in the beginning of 2020 when when Corona set in. Uh, right before then, my my wife, she uh, is an art director, and she was working for an agency, and she decided to be self-employed. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, uh, taxation requirements um, for, you know, even for normal people are complicated <laughs> in Germany. And then you can imagine how complicated it is for self-employment. And we were browsing through literally hundreds of videos and it took us many weeks uh, uh, until we realized that we have more questions than answers yeah. because all those videos were you know, it looked great at the beginning, but then it did not cover every point that we wanted answered. Uh, The content was bad and then we you know keep browsing further we read articles um you know we were really confused and and kind of frustrated at that point until i thought of you know just just um talking to a tax consultant right i mean i was not willing to pay 150 euros for an (laughs) hour of consultation at that point of time but then i had reached a point where i said okay this is not going to work out And at that point of time, everything was, you know, uh, working online, right? So, so uh, we had an online conference where um, we basically went through the whole process. Uh, you know, he, he gave us very practical exam- uh, examples of, of what we should do with regards to taxation and filing financials, uh, etc. And it was, uh, in one word, amazing, right? Mm-hmm. So the weeks that we had spent prior to browsing through, um, you know, crappy videos, he was able to uh, answer all of our questions and give us very valuable inputs in, in under an hour. Um, and that was kind of the, you know, the beginning point of, of me thinking about uh, JoyOn.
1: Okay, great. And as I understood, 2020 is also the year that you started the executive MBA at VAU in collaboration with Kellogg which of course was also the, the the period when we didn't have on-site teaching. It was the, the midst of the Corona crisis. So did that further help you to develop this idea or um, can you tell a bit more about that?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, like I mentioned, so even after the experience with the tax consultant, um, I had never imagined that I would be, you know, uh, working on a startup around that idea today. At that point of time, I was comfortably employed in a corporate job as a project manager for for. Uh, industrial construction projects. And and I was getting tired of corporate life. Okay. And I wanted to, you know, improve myself, learn new things, you know, experience uh, uh, a, a learning curve again. And that was what made me join uh, the executive MBA. Um, it was first offline, because there was a brief period of, uh, you know, a relaxation of lockdowns when the program started. But uh, soon after it, everything went uh, <laughs> online and we were, of course, frustrated and irritated at, at first. But then uh, I saw that it had immense flexibility to offer. Right. So uh, professors from the US were, were able to, you know, take part uh, without having to travel so much. And we were, you know, the comfort of our homes and, and yeah. able to fit in everything. Um, and. Most of the professors had actually made the course in such a way that it was super interactive. So not only between us and the professors, but also between the peers. Um, and I kind of realized that, you know, live learning still works, even mm-hmm. if it is in an online environment. And, and the level of engagement that we learners get through that is still far more superior than you know, if you would do the same course in a pre-recorded environment, right? Yeah. Also, The networking possibilities that yeah. it had to offer. And all this kind of, you know, kept adding on to, you know, my imagination, my daydreams of um, a, a platform for live courses. Uh, but the turning point, in fact, came in one module in the Kellogg VHAU, uh, which was, of course, around entrepreneurism. Okay. And so there was a six-day module, and then Practically on the seventh day, that was when I decided. Okay, I have to start doing something about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, that's uh, interesting. And and so then you decided. Okay, I want to really further develop this idea of this um, stimulating people to make it possible for this kind of live online teaching. Not? That's the that was then the idea that that really you wanted to further develop.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean. Before the, the module, I was, you know, not really sure how to go about it. Right? Okay. Just an idea. And I thought, okay, it's a, it's a million dollar idea. Of course, why, is, is, why isn't why is anybody doing it? After the module, I had, uh, you know, the basic understanding of how I should start. Okay. Um, and the first idea was indeed uh, a platform, a marketplace focused on live and interactive courses for adults, because I was just picturing myself, um, you know, um, as someone who would be a student of this platform, mm-hmm. who would be taking live courses from people all around the world, offering different courses, uh, you know, to, to to make myself better, right? Pretty yeah, much. So, so
1: you had the idea of a Coursera, but then live, instead of uh, pre-recorded videos that exist exactly. in live. life.
0: Yeah, Coursera okay. or Udemy, yeah. you know, uh, all those platforms uh, that are pre-recorded, but one in live and interactive. Yeah. So that was the uh, idea that I wanted to pursue.
1: Okay. And and when you started exploring that idea, what kind of challenges that you came across?
0: Yeah, so um, w- what I did first was I ran a survey to just make sure that I'm not the only one in the world who wants uh, <laughs> this kind of a format in learning, right? I mean, uh, for me, it was obvious that there are many, many out there, of course, looking at the number of people who are taking uh, uh, you know, Kellogg WHU EMBA, which is live and paying, uh, let's say, a significant amount of money to do that. Mm. Um, and the survey just just kind of also um, conquered with my intuition, uh, majority of the people are willing to pay a premium for live and interactive courses. Okay. But what was insightful in that survey was uh, that I also gave them a choice of different topics for which they would actually pay for live and interactive courses and i understood that people would be willing to pay um, for courses around uh, professional and personal development languages yeah. uh, entrepreneurism so startup related uh, items etc and not so much as perhaps cooking uh, for, for those of course there are you know tons of videos uh, out there and, and and the motivation is also different right yeah, yeah. and so after the survey, I, I you know I, I talked to um, a lot of peers um, about it. Uh, I even reached out to you and Garrett uh, to talk about the idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, then you know the, the challenges started coming in. Right? So um, people rightly pointed out, uh, how are you going to start this marketplace? Right. I mean, it's nice. The idea is amazing if it works you know it, it is a, a you know a huge idea but w- what is going to be your first step
1: it's always the chicken or egg problem not that is always <laughs> what we tell our
0: students you need to
1: solve the chicken or
0: egg problem exactly the yeah. real uh, chicken and egg problem for marketplace right and and of course they were right i mean i did not have uh, millions of uh, you know dollars in my bank account that i could throw in for expensive digital marketing campaigns and without that you know it was impossible to get uh people onto the platform right so course providers would not come to the platform without having thousands of learners in there yeah. and vice versa learners would not come to an empty platform where there is no offering right yeah. and there was no prob- you know possibility for me to initiate that with the resources that i had so uh that was of course the biggest challenge
1: yeah
0: so that that's required you to pivot to some extent. So so can you tell
1: us a bit about how you try tend to pivot? So.
0: Yeah, I mean at first um, I wasn't thinking about pivoting. Um, I was of course disheartened that you know the idea is not going to go forward. Uh, no. uh, and and it is a kind of a, an idea that is very close to my heart as well. So so education is is very close to my heart. Um, And it was not easy to just let go of that idea and, you know, pivot into something completely different. Um, I mean, during the survey, I I had also interviewed uh, many course providers and, and uh, also took part in some uh, so-called trial classes with these course providers. Okay. And I tried to remember, um, you know, my experience in interviewing them Mm. and, and, one of, of course, the, the key problem that they faced was how hard it was for them to handle the technology that they need to use for running these life courses. Yeah. Right. So they had crappy websites, registrations for these courses were a pain. I mean, uh, you know, there, there are cases where I had to call them up to ask them how to register. And this was also pretty normal for them. So they either, they're there. You know, there is a person sitting to just answer uh, people how to register. They send them a link, and you have to fill a huge form. Yeah. And after that, you're bombarded with emails. Um, I was sent wrong Zoom links uh, every now <laughs> and then. Um, and I thought of then exploring that part uh, of the process. So I was. I was uh, still focusing on the idea of live interactive courses, but then I tried to approach it from a different angle without even knowing that I was trying to pivot. You know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. Um, And it proved to be right. I I managed to then interview um, over 100 course providers over time. Okay. And it was also pretty interesting how uh, forthcoming they were. So I was, you know, I just emailed them saying that I'm, I'm doing a research uh, uh, for my master thesis, uh, so to say. <laughs> and I'd like their input uh, as I was, you know, my study um, has something to do about live interactive courses online. Yeah. Um, so they, everybody said, yeah, sure, you know, uh, uh, happy to jump into a call. And then I asked them through their process of uh, setting up their infrastructure, um, how much time it, uh, and money it took for them to set up the infrastructure, mm. what sort of tools and tech stack are they using now Um, what sort of KPIs are they following etc and it was um, very interesting and also surprising to find the results that um, it took them over three months to set up an IT because most of them are not offering software classes so they're not really IT (laughs) (laughs) you know so they're like language teachers they're teaching um, uh, career coachings etc so they have to fight to find the right infrastructure right mm. so they and then at the end they pay uh, thousands of euros to some agency to create a crappy looking wordpress site uh and then they have to stitch together uh, excel lists uh, and and booking system on wordpress and yeah. another invoicing system and then of course multiple zoom accounts um and then when you think about it their customers are definitely not really happy right it's a very chaotic journey for them as well yeah and these tutors are not even uh, realizing that they're losing customers because of this bad infrastructure. They just did not have the um, understanding of you know how tracking and, and analytics works to even yeah. uh, know that. And that was when uh, you know it kind of hit me that this should be the effectively the the way I should approach this problem.
1: Yeah. So you, you, you want actually to create the kind of the Shopify of uh, online courses, not something like that. Live exactly. online courses in a kind of Shopify design and format and usability for the producers.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah so, uh, I mean, I, I, I like giving this comparison to Shopify because it's essentially a tool that brings together many tools required for a particular business type, right? So what Shopify offered to the e-commerce sellers, I would like to offer the live uh, uh, interactive course providers. No. Right? So the essential tools required uh, just for this purpose that helps them take care of their business on one hand and also run their courses on the other. Okay. So stitched together uh, in, in complete harmony with a beautiful AI uh, so that everything is simple and automated.
1: Yeah. Well, clear. And so is that then also how you would see kind of your uh, differentiating advantage that it's like it's really kind of providing the producers of this uh, live online courses a seamless integrated experience, uh, making their life easier and making it in the end also easier for the
0: students then to participate. Definitely, definitely. Mm. So, um, I mean, this live and interactive courses was expected to die before Corona, Mm came along, right? So uh, the pre-recorded course industry was booming and growing rapidly year by year and nobody uh, expected live and interactive courses to survive for another 20 years. Um, I mean, from a business uh, and investment standpoint. uh, So this industry was really underserved. Mm -hmm. And even today, if you look at the big uh, players in the field, their business model is still revolving around pre-recorded courses. Uh, selling digital products uh, in scale, uh, et cetera. So they had invested heavily into this segment. I believe that they, of course, they started realizing that the live courses are coming back, but their offering is so complex and, and expensive that, um, for example, a language uh, school cannot use that platform for offering their courses. Yeah, This is exactly where then JoyOn comes in and its USP is, is that it's focusing only on this kind of a business and and format of education and avoiding all the other noise. Yeah, so your customer segment from the producer side is more the small uh, providers of content, not
1: the bigger, I don't know, publishing houses and stuff like that. It's more the smaller providers. Exactly.
0: I mean, these these are indeed the people who need uh, the architecture because they do not have a lot of upfront capital and time to invest in setting it all up. Big players in the industry, of course, they would invest. They have their own IT department, so they will you know, get everything programmed themselves. But uh, small time players, especially ones who are entering the market, it's a, uh, they, they face a very huge barrier of entry because they do not have a, a solution that fits uh, their need. Right. And um, on the other hand, they are indeed the biggest market as well. So the most number of live interactive courses offered today globally are from very small enterprises, even one person industries. Right. So just in Germany, there are over 500,000 who are actively doing it now, not to mention the people who are coming into the new uh, market uh, on a year by year basis.
1: Yeah, of course, you also have the whole market of of, uh, tutoring to students and stuff like that, which might be also an interesting part of that. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, But there are, let's say, different offerings uh, catering to tutoring. I mean, they are there are more marketplace approach for, you know, students and tutoring, etc they are not the kind of people who run businesses as well. So most of them, you know, they, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, of course they can use Joyon. on it. It provides them all the tools that they need to market themselves to, to make them look like superstars. Yeah. Uh, but what I really, you know, feel the urge to work on is indeed the field of education for adults to reskill. Okay. And re-skill. Because again, I see myself as somebody who would benefit from this platform, right. Benefit from superstars teaching what they can to to others
1: i'll
0: definitely be a learner in that instance
1: yeah so that's really i would say then if we talk about a bit the vision where you want to end up because of course you're you're at the initial stages now of the startup that's also why we wanted to talk with with you so so the vision is a bit really becoming an important player helping adults to get the necessary additional education to further develop their career that kind of stuff
0: Definitely. Definitely. I mean, um, when I think about our vision, we, we have, you know, twofold. So one is, of course, to enhance interaction between human beings, right? Okay. So, so on, a, on a day like today where, you know, youngsters are always spending a lot of time on their phones, not talking to the person sitting next to them. Um, we would like to make a change. So even if it is through an online environment that they are able to see and speak with others, especially for a good causes as education. Um that so that is a part of our vision, and the other is indeed um democratization of of education. Because um, like I mentioned, the most important things in my life I learned not really from the universities or, or classrooms, but from my peers, from talking to people who are very close to me, important to me, mentors. Yeah. Uh, and what they were able to transfer me is what I have been taking along throughout my life, right? Yeah. Um, so this sort of an informal education if you can call it that where where people are passing their specialties to other people are definitely on the rise and i think when we look at the far future uh that will be the main source of education if you ask me
1: Yeah, right and actually i think uh Joyon would have been very helpful for the twenty-year-olds, and on sitting in Salzgitter wanting to learn German. Not that uh,
0: would have been one hundred percent. I mean, at the time, i I had to travel one hour to another city to take a couple of hours of German classes. Um, okay. And and yeah, and there were not a lot of providers, like I mentioned, right? So it was hard for them to offer something like this. And this is effectively what Joyon wants to provide the world.
1: Yeah, Great. Maybe one broader question uh, to close our conversation. So I, I can, I think I can assume because you were growing up in the 80s that you're a bit older than most of our entrepreneurs that we have in the accelerator cohort. Um, and, and when we think about age and entrepreneurs, we, we also always talk about this golden handcuff problem. Yeah? That actually the older you get, the more experience you have, the, the better your networks, which is actually very beneficial for developing a successful startup, but it also makes you uh, forcing to leave a kind of comfortable corporate life that you have, and that might make the jump to startup life more difficult. And so the golden cat handcuffs might actually be a hampering factor to take the jump, but you did it now. And in 2022, beginning of 2022, you really decided to uh, leave your job, start joy on. So can you share with us a bit why apparently this golden handcuff problem is not not an issue for you or why you still, despite of it, made the jump to become an entrepreneur?
0: Uh, Definitely. Great question. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say that the golden handcuff problem didn't exist for me. It did, Um, (laughs) as you would have imagined. I mean, I was, you know, in a very comfortable and well-paid job um, in an environment that I was really familiar with, um, Mm. right? And that was also the reason why it took this much amount of time for me to actually transition into an entrepreneur. Uh, But what helped was that, I mean, throughout my life, I've been able to also learn to take calculated risk, right? So, I mean, last year when I was still working to analyze the situation i took a sabbatical of 3 months to kind okay. of uh, um you know do a lot of research talk to people um i also uh, was was um, a part of an accelerator uh, program for called andler where i came together in a live cohort uh with founders from all over the globe okay and and hearing their stories uh talking to them it kind of became clear to me that this is the path that i'd like to pursue and that was uh one great factor. And the other was, of course, the support system that you have. I mean, I'm not uh, speaking about the social support system from the government, but uh, my family was always behind my back, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When they feel that I'm doing the right thing. So in this case, my wife, my parents, my friends, everybody gave me that that last push that I needed to, uh, you know, say goodbye to my Comfortable job and and you know look into the abyss and you know, just just <laughs> um, do what it takes uh, for me to get there. So to yeah. say.
1: yeah, so to jump and build the airplane on the way down, as Reed Hoffman would say, that's uh, <laughs> pretty that's much that's what entrepreneurship is about. Yeah,
0: exactly. But yeah. but yeah, again, it comes all it all comes back to you know the the bond that you have with people and 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 the influence that they are able to give you and support you right and that made me make that jump (laughs) great
1: anand thanks a lot for sharing your story i think it's a very fascinating story and it's great to hear your ideas but also the vision for the startup i think that's very fascinating and i wish you good luck with the next steps i hope that we uh, with our accelerator can help you a bit but in the end uh, let's hope that this can really become the next scalable business in the VAO ecosystem. Thanks again for being willing to share. And I also hope that our listeners enjoyed the talk with Anand. If you like it, please don't forget to rate our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to our podcast. And if you didn't like it, then please don't rate us. <laughs> um, and I hope that we will um Hear you back in the next episodes that you stay tuned for the next episodes of the awesome fun podcast. Bye!